Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Talk Gnosis After Dark. We are continuing our discussion of the Gospel of Thomas with Saints 16. We had an interesting discussion upon our uh, video show, and I think it's going to be fantastic to continue this on our uh, podcast here. Uh, we are being joined tonight, uh, as usual, by Bishop Laney Peterson and by our wonderful producer, Father Tony. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. I don't know how wonderful I am. I just <laughs> a little inside baseball here. Well, this is the second time we've recorded this intro because I don't know how audio works. <laughs> well, uh, I guess uh, before we dive into more deep discussion here, given the fact that some folks may have not seen the video show, I'm going to read the verse under consideration tonight, which again, Gospel of Thomas, verse 16. Jesus said, perhaps men think that I am come to cast peace upon the world, and they do not know that I am come to cast dissensions upon the earth, fire, sword, war. For there shall be five who are in a house, three shall be against two, and two against three, the father against the son, and the son against the father, and they shall stand as solitaries. And for those of us, those who are listening, you, you probably have heard something similar to this verse before, even if you're unfamiliar with the Gospel of Thomas, because a uh, very similar saying appears in two of the canonical Gospels. In mm -hmm. Luke 12, 51-53, we have Jesus saying, Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you, nay, but rather division. Uh, for henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother. The mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And as I said during the video show, this gives us some kind of insight, perhaps, into Luke's family situation that the, the uh, saying got this detailed. Um, and then uh, in Matthew uh, 10, 34, it's short and sweet, Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. So this is an incredibly rich passage, gentlemen, I think. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I, I just did check on it. Um, the video show will not be on the YouTube channel because there is no audio <laughs> for it. So, uh, oops. <laughs> um, so anything you want to repeat that you said during the video show, please feel free. Because it will be new to everybody here. Wow. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Um, you know, but you could have some real fun with that um, subtitling. Yeah, we could. Yeah. Everything that we're saying. We do that. Yeah. <laughs> somebody, somebody who does that um, uh, bad lip syncing. Have you seen those videos? Yeah. Oh yes, exactly. Yeah. We can get them to do one. Okay. Well, awesome. Well, anyways, that's, this is wonderful because, again, it's a really, really deep and rich passage, and we got into some very interesting preliminary discussion, Bishop Canterbury and I did, but I think we can get into the meat of it here on mm -hmm. this show. So, Father Tony, you usually write down interesting questions. Do you want to start with those, or do you want uh, Bishop Ken and I to kind of reiterate what we sent, said during the video? Why don't you recap uh, some of the major points, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into some more detail. Okay. Sure. Um, basically, uh, you know, we kind of, we, you know, discussed the fact that this is a verse that is familiar to many people because it is, uh, in the canonical scriptures. We also noted that it's something that tends to be a bit jarring for people because they're used to thinking of Jesus as the Prince of Peace. As Bishop Canary points out, he talks, he will say to the disciples, my peace I give unto you. And yet we have him saying, I'm not here to give peace. 
I'm here to cast dissension. There's going to be wars and the sword and fires and pestilence and locusts and all kinds of horrible things because of my presence here. And by the way, you're not even going to have peace in your own household. You're going to have people um, set against each other. Um, we had a look at what Marvin Meyer had to say. And Marvin Meyer, a well-known Gnostic scripture scholar, basically pointed out that uh, the notion of standing, which you'll see at the end of the Thomas scripture, you don't see this in the canonical scriptures, but the idea of people standing as solitaries, the notion of standing is found in several other verses in the Gospel of Thomas uh, as well, 16, 18, 23, 28, and 50. He also points out that Simon, uh, Simon Magus referred to himself as the standing one and one of the Sethian scriptures, uh, the three styles of Seth, uh, notes that God was the first to stand. So there is in the Gnostic tradition, a, a, at least in some Gnostic traditions, this idea of standing probably being a spiritual virtue. Uh, Meyer also pointed out, or I think it was Meyer, may have been somebody else, pointed out that standing as a solitary may be something that supports celibacy. Uh, the idea of remaining unmarried or being or being celibate that you are standing solitary and on your own so that those are some things that some of the commentators have had to say but then Bishop Canterbury and I we just kind of went into it and, and uh, shared what we thought about various parts Bishop Canterbury do you want to recap some of the, some of your insights sure you know one of the things that I pointed out during the video show um, was that sometimes I will focus upon kind of the end of the passage and upon this you know again taking they shall stand as solitaires taking both the ideas of um, of standing as being one of the acts that happens first as as when we are children and infants first we crawl then we we stand and then we talk. So it is kind of this evolutionary process of, of going from uh, being a baby into that of adulthood. Um, so we kind of have that form of symbolism. Also, you know, kind of the idea that being solitaire, um, especially if on the context of this, is that, that uh, you know, Christ was not necessarily here to cast peace upon the world, but upon the solitaire of the individual. It is this personalized salvation, this personalized gnosis that comes to the individual that we can only worry, um, and this may sound a little maybe selfish or even narcissistic, but uh, that uh, we have to worry about our own salvation, our own particular gnosis, and not necessarily those around us. We also talked somewhat about the ideas that when one does walk upon the spiritual path, you know, whether that is through uh, um, the Gnostic path, whether that is, you know, through standard um, forms of spirituality, whether that's Judaism, Christianity, any of the world's major religions, whether one is walking a pagan path, path of Wiccan. And many times when we start walking these paths, there is division upon our own. Uh, within our own households. Uh, and I think all of us have experienced those where, where when you start experiencing these things, um, sometimes your own household is divided. So there is a very literal sense to to uh, to this particular passage. But I think those were some of our key points, don't you think, sister? Uh, 
I think they were some of our key points. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that uh, unless Father has some, Father often has some great questions. Did you want to share some questions, or did we want to systematically just start from the beginning and start working on this, or how do you want to how do you want to proceed? Well, actually, I I'd like to talk about the translations. Actually, um, mm-hmm. there are a number of translations of this available online in various different sources. Um, mm-hmm. There are three available on uh, gnosis.org. If, I'm sure our listeners are familiar with the uh, the Gnostic Society Library at gnosis.org. Um, if you're not, where have you been? Go check yeah. it out. <laughs> so, um, there's several translations there. Uh, one of them, the uh, Patterson-Robinson translation, uh, at the end of it says uh, they will stand as solitary ones. Right. The uh, Patterson-Meyer translation says uh, they will stand alone and the uh, Lambden translation says and they will stand solitary now uh, there are different ones over on um, uh, earlychristianwritings.com website Mm -hmm. there's the Blatt's version they shall stand as solitaries there's the Layton version and they will stand at rest by being solitaries and there's the Dores version uh, they will be lifted up being solitaries. So those are all fairly consistent, except for that Dores version. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but yeah. um, and they will be lifted up being solitaries. I can kind of see. I don't know Coptic, so I, I don't uh, you know I don't know the actual phrases there, um, even though they're they're listed right there uh, for those people who can. Um, those seven or eight people on the planet who can read Coptic, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but. Um, but anyway, so the, they all pretty much agree that there is a, an aspect of solitariness, right? Um, mm-hmm. And they, most of them agree that you will stand. Some of them say stand at rest or, you know, the, that kind of thing. Um, but the, the Duress version says that they will be lifted up. Now, mm-hmm. I can kind of see how that might happen in a translation kind of a situation where somebody looks at the same word and one person says stand, the other one says lift it up. It depends, mm-hmm. I guess, how active the word is. If you know, Because in one sense, standing applies, implies not really doing much of anything unless you are standing up, which, in which case you're going from a sitting point to a standing position, which right. could be translated as lift it up. I think, right. maybe. However, <clears throat> the interesting thing for me is that my big thing is, you know, looking at the uh, the, the ancient Gnostics and, and their traditions, or their supposed traditions of ascent ritual, uh, ascent meditation. Um, lifted up is a much more compelling way that that is translated, for me anyway. Mm-hmm. So, it's interesting. What does that mean to you, Father Tony? Well, the... Uh, the discord that is, you know, the division that is being created here um, is is against the world, right? So whenever I see the world in a Gnostic text, I immediately think of the Archons and the Demiurge and, and the created universe. So this, this passage makes a lot of sense to me in that Jesus says, hey, I'm here to mess with the world. And right. that all these people are going to be divided, but that you, the you know, the chosen people, what have you, are going mm-hmm. to be lifted up. They're, you are going to be the ones who ascend to the, mm-hmm. to the pleroma. Mm-hmm. Now, 
we've talked on this show in the past that this is not necessarily a Gnostic document. The Gospel of Thomas is not necessarily a Gnostic document from beginning to end. It probably had an earlier, uh, an earlier genesis that then the Gnostic community latched onto. Um, so this is an interesting... It's interesting that there are canonical parallels in this. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so this if you're looking at this as a Gnostic, as I am, um, mm -hmm. that, that idea of standing up maybe or being lifted up, that, that it could be an allusion to this ascent symbolism. And April DeConnick, and I know this is the third episode in a row where <laughs> I mentioned April DeConnick, um, in, in, her, uh, in her book, uh, Seek to See Him, uh -huh. uh, talks a lot about that kind of ascent uh, language that is throughout the Gospel of Thomas. So I mm -hmm. think that this fits right in with all of that. Yeah. Did you give any particular insight to this particular passage at all? I don't remember specifically this passage, um, but I would be surprised if she didn't. Interesting. I think those are all valid points, and I think, uh, again, it kind of ties into this idea of, um, you know, again, with it being solitaire, that this is an individualized process. It isn't a process for the earth. It isn't a process for the world, but it is this process of of personal salvation, which one stands up alone and solitary, or in this case of being lifted up, uh, as you would say, you know, this uh, process of personal ascension. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the idea of, or the, the way that this is treated in the matrix, for example, where uh, Neo takes the red pill and then, it, but has to do it by himself. You know what I mean? And the, right. Um, what is it that Morpheus says? Uh, I, you know, I, I can only tell you, but you have to see for yourself. I, that's not the quote, but that's the paraphrase of the quote. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> this is an Aeon bite. We don't play clips here. <laughs> uh, but uh, the, um, you know, the, the Matrix is, the Matrix is false, but it's comfortable. You know what I mean? And when... When mm -hmm. Neo takes that red pill and he finds himself in the world of the, you know, the remaining humans in this kind of a post-apocalyptic landscape, it's, it's super unpleasant. And you have to deal with that, you know, and, and only you can deal with that. You have to do it as a solitary person. Yeah, you know, I, I think something that Bishop, going back to what Bishop Canterbury had to say about, you know, it's a, it's a developmental milestone standing. And yes, I mean, mom and dad will hold you and, and help you up and, and, you know, you, you know, will encourage you. But ultimately, you have to you have to stand alone. Um, it's considered to be the milestone when you're standing unsupported. Mm -hmm. And um, this is, a, you know, this is a, the spiritual path. It, can, it parallels in many ways the development of humans on, a, on, on the on an earthly level or a physical level or psychological level. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think that, yeah, this, this idea that you, when you are on this path and the changes that happen so alter the way you relate to others around you or the way you fit or do not fit in an archonic system, ultimately you are going to be standing alone that you are not going to perhaps have those supports around you. Uh, even these, these relationships that could be very, very close. 
uh, you know, that have previously been extremely close. I, you know, I remember um, when I began a certain spiritual practice, some of my person, there were certain aspects of my personality that changed. And my family actually, um, and I'm close to my family, but they actually got a little annoyed with me because I didn't have these certain pet personality <laughs> manifestations anymore. And I was accused of being humorless. And, uh, you know, so it, that got kind of interesting for a while. But there, you know, when, when there's some, some change, uh, there's that, there's, you know, you're, you are standing alone and you may not have the supports that you once did. And that, that is a mark of spiritual, it can be a mark of spiritual progress. But it's a lonely one. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think that's pretty good. The... It has been my experience, you know, and I'm, I get along with my family just fine as well. You know, and my, uh, my, my parents all came to my ordination. My dad took a million pictures, but um, it, my mom has said to me actually on occasion, she said, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you're a priest and I'm glad that you, you do this work, but I really wish you were a Roman Catholic priest. And I said, yeah, <laughs> yeah I know, mom. <laughs> <laughs> but what are you going to do, right? So, you know, what? But, you know, I definitely have friends who whenever I mention the word Gnostic, they'll start to giggle, you know, or you know, they, they, they think that I'm, you know, they think that I'm either mistaken or stupid or, <laughs> you know, about sure. this particular thing. Uh, so there, there is that, and that can be a bit lonely, but it, in the grand scheme of things, for me, I haven't been persecuted for my beliefs, and, and I... I feel grateful to live in a time when <laughs> that that doesn't happen very much at least not in in america anyway um i can handle people thinking that i'm an idiot <laughs> post post your comments folks in the in the comment section of the <laughs> and tell me i'm an idiot it's fantastic no no i wouldn't i he is not an idiot folks i can guarantee you he's not an idiot well i just recorded an entire video show for 20 minutes with no audio so <laughs> Uh, that's a simple mistake, Father. <laughs> that's a simple mistake, um, but yeah, it, it's um, that. I mean, that is a that that is a situation, and in some cases, it's it's not even so much a matter of people being obstreperous or people choosing the conflict. That there can actually just simply be a conflict in your being. Yeah. That if you've been operating in one way for a long time and suddenly mm -hmm. there's this shift, the people around you just may not understand that shift. Mm -hmm. They may not, you know, th this may be something that they, they're just not getting, just not understanding. And it's not an active form of conflict, but uh, uh, in many cases, it's a passive one. It's one that, you know, you've changed and people are used to operating in a certain way. And if you think about it, um, if you think about the archons, which are kind of trying to hold things together in a static way, and they have this system, uh, this passage, I think, can really speak a lot to that, that once you start to stand in opposition to, or at least apart from, these forces, that in and of itself is going to be dissension. And, we know, and I, one of the things that I brought up during the video is, for me, it was very easy to read this passage as, well, yes, um, Jesus, you know, J Jesus comes and, and there, as a consequence, 
the world is set on fire. There's 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 war. There's there's strife. There's strife in families. That's a consequence of Jesus being here. But actually, that's not what the passage has to say. I mean, the passage actually uh, states, uh, "I am come to cast." I'm sorry. Um, I am come to cast dissensions upon the earth, fire, sword, war. So it's actually part of the mission mm -hmm. of Jesus is the dissensions. It's not just a con this is not just a consequence. This is a mission. And I think that in some ways is a bit more perturbing than the idea that, well, there's a natural consequence. Yeah, I, you know, let's get a little deeper into that. I, you know, I would like to hear both of your guys' kind of opinions because, you know, that is definitely, as you stated, Bishop Peterson, it doesn't seem like a consequence. It sounds in this particular verse as part of the mission. They do not know that I, I have come to cast ascensions upon the earth. I mean, that to me clearly sounds like a mission. So um, your guys' feedback, input. Well, again, if, like I mentioned earlier, if, if you think of the world as the, the world in the Gnostic sense, then yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely, that's what Jesus came to do. Mm -hmm. you know, Jesus mm -hmm. as the exemplar, as the, as the, you know, the, the one who comes to um, put right the mistakes that Sophia made and mm -hmm. through, through the, the assistance of Sophia um, to correct those errors then yeah absolutely you're going to put fire to the world and you're going to at at the ultimate it depending on who you, whose gnostic system you believe in the valentinians certainly believed that at the end of time um whenever that was that the manifest universe would be consumed by a purifying fire and return to the uh to the pleroma um mm -hmm. other gnostic systems thought that that you know, the material universe would just disappear and go away but at the end of the day the material universe is flawed and um, you know, less perfect at best and evil at worst, and uh, and and needed to be corrected in mm -hmm. in one way or another. Well, now noises are happening on my computer. I gotta. <laughs> I'm really doing great today. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing awesome, Father Tony. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and I do think it's interesting that that Luke. And Thomas, uh, th those writers included the bit about the family. Uh, I, in, in many ways, you'll find this particularly among evangelicals, where the, the family becomes an idol in its own right. Mm -hmm. And the idea, you know, we have this, we have a well-known organization called Focus on the Family. Uh, they talk about family values and, and that sort of thing. But... This passage doesn't, these pa don't have a lot of, the notion is there is going to be, part of Jesus' mission is going to be the division of families and family loyalties. And that's a hard one. I, mean, I, I think it's easy, it's easy for me as a Gnostic to say, okay, yeah, I want to stand against the world system, but do I want to stand against my own family? I mean, it's one thing if whoever, it's your mother-in-law. Yeah, whoever does, yes. not hate, whoever does not hate his father and mother cannot enter the kingdom, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, you know, and all of these things have multiple layers of understanding, you know. The, yeah. There's a literal sense that you can read into it, although I don't tend to do that as often. Um, there's symbolic, and then there's a, a deeper spiritual sense even than that. Uh, mm -hmm. 
and and all of these all of these meanings contribute to the overall understanding of the passage and, and I think that's what we try to do here with these expositions of these these uh, short little bits so and we encourage other listeners to do the same <laughs> yep, yep. Um, because yep. there's a lot lot of material here and we don't think of everything every now and then somebody will come will uh, post a comment with a really good insight that did not even occur to us and, so, and we go aha uh -huh. yeah yeah, and 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 that that's that's the fun in all of this. It's one thing I like about earlychristianwritings.com is that the uh, the website editor does uh, include uh, comments from visitors as well mm -hmm. as the quotes from the scholarly scholarly commentators. He also will include uh, feedback that he gets from visitors, and some of them have some pretty interesting insights. Um, mm -hmm. So if you do enjoy what we're doing here, you might want to check out earlychristianwritings.com. I'm plugging them again because I think it's a great site for those who want to do this kind of research. Now, what is interesting is we have, in, in, I think it's in Luke and here, we have, for there will be five who are in a house, three shall be against two and two against three. And I'm, I'm sometimes, I wonder, you know, is there... Is there a meaning there with uh, th uh, three and two and, and two and two and three? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure there is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these things don't happen arbitrarily, or else they accumulate meaning over time. But uh, yeah, you know, when I when I hear five, I think of the five senses, especially in this mm -hmm. uh, in this um, context. Um, it reminds me of the uh, the story from the Gospel of John of the woman at the well. Um, and, and in a certain Gnostic interpretation of it, the, the woman has five husbands or has had five husbands. And, yeah. and that's said to refer to the five, uh, the five senses. Uh -huh. and, um, and so this is, uh, I don't know necessarily which two and which three would be divided against each other, but I can certainly uh, attest from experience that... Um, being a Gnostic and, ha and having this kind of Gnosis experience does tend to bypass your physical senses in a way that is confusing to the human brain. <laughs> so, yeah, I, can, I guess I could see that. That's just me speculating, though, off the top of my head. I'm looking here at the Luke passage. I'm trying to count up all the people. We've got the father. We've got the son. Mm -hmm. We have a daughter. And we have a mother. And then we've also got a daughter-in-law. And the mother-in-law. But the mother-in-law is probably the mother, right? Because the daughter-in-law is married to the son. <laughs> I, I, Possibly, I'm just playing yeah. around no, here. I, I don't know, yeah. Now, we, we may have five. I mean, Luke may be, you know, talking about five specific people. Mm -hmm. We've got, uh, you know, we've, we've got, now, the interesting thing is that we don't have husbands and wives divided against each other here. Right. We have generational divisions, but we do not have spouses being divided. That, it could, that could be an interesting key to this. I mean, I, I don't, we, we don't really have the time to be doing this on air, <laughs> but there could be some interesting work that could be done with that. Yeah, yeah. I think no no lateral divisions, only hard, only uh, vertical divisions. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
I just it's just kind of occurred to me. So that could be actually something for our listeners. Um, if you find this interesting, if you want to make some comments, um, and you, you get some insight into that, I'd love to. I'd love to hear what you come up with because that's quite that's quite curious. It just occurred to me. Yeah, post them on our Facebook page. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Can we talk yes. actually about the? Um, and I haven't considered before. Can we talk about the comparisons between the various? Um, <coughs> the two canonical sources. Uh, the, the interesting thing about the Gospel of Thomas is it's sometimes, some scholars believe that it is older than any of the other canonical Gospels mm -hmm. um, because of its character as a kind of collection of sayings without the narrative elements. So uh, some scholars believe that the other the Gospels uh, take their, you know, some of the, the sayings, not from the Gospel of Thomas, but from this hypothetical Q document that is said to have existed or scholars believe may have existed, um, that they believe also ha that Thomas is, is, a, is a, also a, um, either draws from Q or could potentially be Q, some people say. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, uh, you look at the, the versions in Matthew and Luke, and they seem to bookend the version from Thomas. The, the Matthew version is very small, and it's mm -hmm. smaller than the others. It uh, doesn't say as much, and the Luke version is longer, um, which is interesting in that, you know, if, if Thomas were older, you would expect it from a kind of common sense perspective. You'd expect it to be the shortest because embellishments would have happened. Not necessarily the case. Obviously, things could have been cut out, but it doesn't seem likely in this particular case. Mm -hmm. So what do you guys think? Have you ever thought about the Gospel of Thomas and Q and, and its relationship? Well, absolutely. I mean, um, um, yeah, I mean, obviously there's that idea that the same Gospel of Q is sort of... Uh, sort of has fed, you know, the uh, Matthew and Mark and some of the others, and I think that there's probably some possibilities that that either the Gospel of Thomas either is, was that source or at least strongly influenced by that source, because you do so, see so many parallels in the Gospel of Thomas. To uh, to the other gospels, we don't see it in all, in all of the sayings and all of the verses. I mean, like last week's verse, uh, uh, if uh, there was no uh, parallels within uh, the canonical gospels of last week's verse, but many of the verses you do find very similar things. Right, right. The um, I I do like the idea that Thomas is potentially older than the uh, than the canonical gospels, but mm -hmm. if if it is, then it's also entirely possible that the version that we have is not. I think right. that's actually pretty likely. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, the version that we have could have been as influenced by the canonical Gospels as, as the other way around. Mm -hmm. So maybe if the, uh, if the Q document and the Thomas document have a much closer relationship than the Q document and the canonical Gospels, mm -hmm. um, where that split happened, people translating this document and recopying this document later could have added things back in from the canonicals that didn't exist before. That's a possibility mm -hmm. as well. You know, obviously these things don't exist in a vacuum. They do not. Um, 
Yeah, I do. I, I'm always interested to see what makes it into one gospel as opposed to the other. As far as the Gospel of Thomas being older, I, you know, I can't say. The one thing that I, I that is both frustrating and that I actually like about the Gospel of Thomas is that it's just sayings. It's not a story. Right. And um, I do find that interesting. And I. You know, I don't want to be, become a conspiracy theorist and and say that, you know, the Gospel of Thomas includes things that, you know, are obviously being cleaned up in the canonical Gospels. But sometimes I have to wonder, um, <laughs> particularly with the thing about, and they shall stand as solitaries, mm-hmm. um, which would, could be construed by people who have an interest in such things as something that might suggest that the individual stands in opposition even to a, a church community or a church. Um, my authority. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and it's always, you know, we brought this up during the video, and I'm big on local community. I know that Bishop Canterbury and um, Father Tony are, are as well, and the, the importance of, of community. And we've discussed that many times when we discuss these passages. But this, the idea of standing as solitaries as being part, uh, rendering people such that they stand as solitaries as being part of Christ's mission, uh, could very easily have offended certain people who maybe are making their living mm-hmm. um, a, a, as clergy um, or who just kind of like having that kind of control. I, I'm not absolutely saying that that is what was going on here, but I do find it curious that this ended up in the quote-unquote heretical gospel, and it is not found in the canonical gospels. It's true. If they had had Patreon, they would have been all set back then. They would have just said, you know, just pledge a small amount per video or podcast, and we'll uh, you know continue to put out great gospel content for you. <laughs> I don't know what their problem was. Uh, well, everybody has to have a, you know, everybody wants to protect what's theirs. Yeah, apparently. But this is, you know, the, the whole thing of standing as solitaries, I think it, it is threatening on a number of levels. Um, and it, if, uh, it, it, this could, I could see where it would very well have been something that maybe we don't want to include that. Yeah, and I mean, I hate to keep invoking the Matrix, but sometimes this, you know, standing in solitary, this experience of gnosis is, you know, it's too much for somebody. There's that um, that guy, uh, I forget the character's name, um, who wants to be put back in. You know, he's having he's having dinner with the uh, with the agent yeah. eating the steak, right. and he says, "I know this steak isn't real, and I, you know, and I know it, but it's delicious, and right. I want to forget everything that I know, and I, I want to go back." And so, standing a solitary while you know sounds real great on the one hand is more work, you know, and it's it, it's more responsibility on an individual level than being a member of the mainstream church and just going to church on Sunday and, you know, saying, okay, check, got that done, you know, soul saved. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I remember the camera work and that scene when he's eating that beautiful steak. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I remember it, I remember it distinctly because, it, you know, they really were trying to show just how seductive the matrix was or yeah. is. Yeah. I'm a fan of a good steak. Let me tell you. 
And most of us are. Um, well, those of us who aren't vegetarians or vegans. And one could argue that many of them were probably at one time fans of great steaks. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, cows it, are delicious. Because cows are delicious. Yeah. All right. Now, where, where was that? Now you got me thinking about the steak. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so this um, it, it is a lonely place to be. And yet it appears to be part of Christ's mission. Mm-hmm. And so, and I know, and, and it's interesting because we've had a lot of people contact us um, you know, who watch this show or listen to the podcast and who have said that they appreciate it because they are alone. Yeah. And they, they don't have community. They don't have a church nearby, a Gnostic church nearby or a study group. So they are alone. Um, and I guess if any of them are listening to this, maybe this is a passage that you can take to heart. That uh, you know, this is a pain, maybe a painful part of your of your of your growth, but your spiritual development. But it appear, according to this, it is actually perhaps a very important part of Christ's mission. Yeah, yeah, I believe it is. I believe it is. I, I think that you know, having having that experience of <clears throat> of. Uh, of going it alone and, you know, taking responsibility for your own spiritual development. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's crucial to Gnosticism. I mean, I wrote a whole book on it, you know, like, yes, you the, did, you know, and a very good book. <laughs> thank you. Uh, you know, you, you, you can't, you can't be a Gnostic and, you know, sit on your butt and do nothing. Um, right. you can, you can think about Gnostic things and, and, you know, be a philosopher about it, but it, in order to be a practicing <coughs> Gnostic, you have to do some work. There's mm-hmm. no no two ways about it. Now mm-hmm. there's a wide variety of things that you could do, um, and that's one of the things that I like most about Gnosticism is that you know there is such a um, there's there's such a freedom of you know finding your own way, and that's the, again that's a double-edged sword. You can find your own way, uh, but it could very well be the wrong way, and yeah. you'll have nobody to blame but yourself at that point. Right. And you can develop a really obnoxious personality <laughs> on that road at the same time. Oh, you've seen what I post on social media, have you? Yeah, it's <laughs> nothing to do with you, Father Tony. Um, you're actually a very good egg as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's, but um, I have seen this passage used as a way of justifying bad behavior. <laughs> on the part of some individuals. Uh, that earlier. Can you give an example of what kind of thing you would... Yeah. That, yeah. How that would be applied? Well, you'll, you'll find this in some, some Christian-oriented cults um, when they attempt to essentially alienate people from their families. Okay. You know, it's a very common cult tactic. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, the family, when family members who may genuinely care about the individual start speaking up, this is a passage that might be pointed to, for example, that they might point to. And they might say, you know, um, there's going to be dissension in your household. You're going to be persecuted by your family. You have to stand strong and, and, be, and stand with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a complete misapplication of this passage, but that is one example. Another example um, is is that this passage has I've seen it used by some to justify uh, warfare. Now you know warfare between nations, um, and that you know we can 
you know, you could have your Bible in one hand and an AK-47 in the other hand, and you're all right with God because of this passage. Um, so I think that that, you know, that's certainly one way of looking at the passage. I don't think that it's a particularly useful one. And I, I so I, I think that that's something to be aware of. But I, as I said, I do think um, that one needs to be particularly careful when on a Gnostic path or any path of spiritual development um, to keep in mind that, yeah, you are on this path on your own, ultimately you're on this path on your own, but that also is great responsibility. And that you may make mistakes, you may stumble, um, but this is also not an excuse for behaving badly. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see that happening. I, I haven't seen those specific examples, um, but... Uh... Yeah, that, that seems unpleasant. <laughs> well, having been having been an evangelical for a long time, mm. um, I got to see quite a bit of it. And, and having been part of some smaller groups and whatnot, um, this you know when you have people when you have family members who might be concerned um, about what's going on, this passage is often invoked mm -hmm. in a way um, that is not entirely helpful. It's mm -hmm. invoked in a defensive way rather than in a in a careful way. Hmm. Um, it's like I spoke about earlier, I was on a spiritual discipline once that changed certain behaviors of mine, um, and my family members decided that I had lost my sense of humor. Um, and and that, that, that was a kind of friction that's going to happen. Um, but nobody was telling me, as no teacher of mine was trying to tell me that, well, you know, this, you know, you have to listen to us um, because your family's out to get you, and if you're either with Jesus or you're or you're not. Mm -hmm. And that can happen, and it does happen when this passage is used in that way. But I think rightly applied, it does refer to the kind of, the kind of growth and standing on our own, which I think, Bishop Canterbury, you had a brilliant analogy there, the standing on our own that we have to do mm -hmm. if we are going to mature spiritually. Absolutely. And, you know, to me, I think uh, ultimately that's what this verse is telling us is that we have to stand alone and uh, spiritually uh, because it is our own process of salvation, our own process of uh, gnosis. Um, it's the only way we're going to get there. You know, it's, um, we can have others who can try to hold this up and lift this up, but ultimately we have to stand on our own and do this by ourselves. And I, you know, I would, I would also point out that we're standing alone while all hell, hell is breaking loose. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we, we've got fire, sword, war, and mm -hmm. mother-in-laws screaming at daughters-in-law, <laughs> and you know, probably cats and dogs living together. Um, oh my, not that. Yeah, but you know, th there we are, and, and then we're standing. And again, I guess again, the Doris translation, I do kind of like, and we will be lifted up, being solitaries. Yeah. So, and, and Leighton saying we will stand at rest, which I think is also quite interesting as well. But mm -hmm. um, we do, as I pointed out earlier, there is a theme of standing in some other verses, and we've got some coming up relatively soon. So I think, uh, Bishop Canterbury, that'll be an interesting area of discussion for us mm -hmm. when we find this standing. Because I think mm -hmm. that you really hit on something when you addressed it as a developmental milestone. Absolutely. Can we uh, shift gears for a second? We're, sure. We're coming up on the end here, but I, I had a couple of pop culture-y things that I wanted to mention. Okay. Um, 
the there is a movie coming out. Um, I'm not entirely sure when. Called As Above, So Below. Have you guys seen this? Have you seen ads for this? No. What is it called? As, As above, above, So Below. No, I have not. Um, well, it's uh, Legendary Pictures is putting it out, um, and I I follow a lot of um, podcasts from the Nerdist Network, which is uh, Chris Hardwick's uh, thing, and they recently were purchased by Legendary, so they've been talking a lot about this movie. Okay. As part of that deal, um, so. I'm like, okay, interesting. So, you know, a quote from the Emerald Tablet or a, a paraphrase from the Emerald Tablet and, and uh, Hermeticism and, and all that. So what that's that's got to be fairly interesting. So I watched some trailers and things. and It's a horror movie. It's about um, this group of, um, I presume, American teenagers go into the catacombs in Paris, you know, the, with all the bones and whatnot. Um and, uh, you know, spooky shit starts to happen and, you know, supernatural things and people die horribly and blood and gore and the whole thing. So, um, you know, I, I like a, a cheesy horror movie as much as the next guy, but I was fairly excited when I saw the title, um, mm -hmm. slightly disappointed when I saw the <laughs> just regular old horror movie trailer with no, mm -hmm. uh, no, no esoteric stuff, really. And then later on, I heard an interview with the filmmakers, um, and the the person interviewing them clearly had some understanding of esotericism and hermeticism, and and she was asking fairly pointed questions, um, and the filmmakers had no idea what she was talking about. So <laughs> they they clearly just stole the phrase, slapped it on a, a movie about underground spooky stuff happening. And uh, and that's that. So anyway, um, when that movie comes out, I'd be interested to hear uh, if any of our listeners go and see it. If you know, maybe my first impression was wrong. So please do let me know <laughs> and watch the trailer. It's you know, it's fairly, it's pretty scary. I'll go see the movie, but who knows? All right. Yeah. So, is there anything else pop culture, Father yes, Tony? Yes, there's another thing actually. Um, the The Leftovers on HBO, um, new series, but uh, Damon Lindelof is the showrunner there. He's the guy who did Lost, mm -hmm. um, which had a lot of good esoteric stuff in it uh, as well. So this yeah, I love Lost. It's one yeah. of my favorite series. A lot of people didn't like the ending, but those people are wrong. Um, <laughs> so uh, no, they're they're fine. Um, but anyway, so this this new series is uh, the premise is uh, all of a sudden two percent of the population of the planet just disappeared in kind of a rapture like event. Mm -hmm. Although they haven't really been calling it that, um, because there doesn't seem to be anything that connects all the people uh, who were who were taken. Mm -hmm. um, but there is an Episcopal priest who uh, is played by uh, Christopher Eccleston, actually a former Doctor Who. Oh yeah, yeah, um, the Ninth Doctor. Yeah, who um, who has an American accent and is very distracting because he's not good at it. I, I love him, but he's not good at it. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, he um, uh, there's an episode earlier this season that focused on him, uh, kind of the, the plot revolved around him, and he uh, quoted from the Gospel of Thomas um, to another guy. He quoted uh, Logan 13, um, which is the one about uh, uh, Jesus asking his disciples what he's like. Right. Yes. So, so interesting that he chose that the the showrunners and the writers chose that particular version of that story because there is a parallel to that in the canonical gospel. Um, you know the the uh, Mark eight twenty seven to twenty nine. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, "Who do people say I am?" And then 
Peter says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, gold star, Peter. You're, you're right. And so obviously in the Gospel of Thomas, it's, uh, he, it's Thomas who's the hero of that story. Right. Um, who says, uh, I am not... Uh, I, uh, master, my mouth is utterly unable to uh, to say what you are like. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, I am not your, your master, for you have drunk and you have become intoxicated at the bubbling stream. And he goes off and he uh, tells Thomas three secret words and Thomas comes back and all the other disciples are like, hey, what did he say to you? And he's and Thomas says, if I tell you the stones will uh, you'll pick up stones and throw them at me and the fire will come out of the stones and burn you up. And so he tells that uh, and he quotes that uh, pretty much verbatim in the show. Um, I was pretty excited about it at the time. I haven't thought to mention it on the show before now, but um, here, there you are. So interesting. There's uh, Gospel of Thomas being quoted in uh, in in a show on HBO, which, by the way, is very good. If you uh, if you enjoyed Lost, I think you'd enjoy The Leftovers. So. Well, maybe there I'll get book? cable again someday. Yes, it is. Based Isn't on there the book. a book of the uh, same title of yeah. others? Yes, it's based on the book, I think. Okay. Yeah. I do have a quick announcement to make as well. Fantastic. Um, a, uh, an, a an appearance, a Bishop Laney appearance. Uh, I'm going to be in uh, Princeton, New Jersey, on October 4th, um, presenting at Crucible, which is a convention of kind of a a. a, a convention for magicians and occultists of all stripes. It's kind of a pan-occultist event. I'm going to be presenting on developing questions for divination. Um, If anybody is interested, they can go online to www.crucibleconvention.com and learn more about signing up for the event. Um, It promises to be a great time, and uh, some good people are going to be there and are involved, and I look forward to meeting folks. Fantastic. Say hello to Dr. Pagels while you're out there. I will do my best. (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, any any parting thoughts before we uh, shuffle off this evening? I'm going to be spending more time with this passage. Yeah. Uh, I think that I think there's a lot here, particularly with the uh, the five and the three and two sort of thing. I think there may be some interesting insight there, and I'd be curious to hear if anybody else decides to work with that. Um, Please let us know. In the, in the comments. Yeah. Yeah. All right, then. Well, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, I apologize for screwing up the video, but I think we pretty much covered everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. More or less. Everything that was crucial anyway. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you all next week. Good Take night, care, everybody. This has been a production of the Gnostic NYC Network. For more information on this and all of the Gnostic NYC Network's programming, visit GnosticNYC.com. This podcast has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International License. 